Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of William Lowe, who was the gas station attendant. But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. And welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode from two weeks ago, from episode 17, where we discussed the evolution of Jerry Gutierrez as a story. And hopefully we will get through this thing. I think we're all, after having a week off, we're all a little bit out of practice and out of sync. But I think, we, I think we've got everything together and we're ready to start being podcasters again. Everyone will be happy to know that there were no deer harm during the making of this year's deer camp once again. But we did kill what we figured out to be about 370 beers over the course of a week. So that's a win. That's a win. Yep. And uh, that voice there is, of course, the wonderful Mr. Mike Bussing. Hello. And as always, we're joined with Mr. Zach Weaver across the table. Hey, guys. And with that being said, let's go ahead and get right into your listener questions about Jerry Gutierrez. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. All right, before we get into those questions, Bob, Rodney Reed had a stay of execution. Let's get into that. Well, that's right. Update. We didn't cover that on Truth and Justice. Our Rodney Reed episode was on the Bob and Weave podcast. But it actually really interesting what happened. And I haven't dug into all of the details yet, but you know, we've all been petitioning to the the governor, Governor Greg Abbott, to stay the execution. I mean, as for those of you that did listen to the Bob and Weave episode. You know, I'm I'm not prepared to say that you know Rodney Reed is 100% for sure innocent. I believe that he is. I believe that the evidence definitely does indicate that. But I think with absolute certainty, there was plenty. There is plenty of question about his innocence or his guilt. There is certainly not 
enough strong evidence leaning towards his guilt to say that we should murder him. But so everybody's been petitioning to Governor Greg Abbott, who has sat on his ass and done nothing throughout this period. I mean, he could have he could have stopped this at any time. But then in a in what I th- found to be a shocking move, the Court of Criminal Appeals, the CCA in Texas, stepped in and stayed the execution. And I don't know if this I've never seen this happen before. Um, but but to put this in perspective for you, the CCA is the court that didn't hear the lividity evidence that refused to to consider the lividity evidence that shows that Stacy Stites was in fact killed around 10 p.m. while her fiance Jimmy Fennell was with her. They wouldn't consider that evidence because it wasn't it wasn't brought up when it was supposed to be raised by uh, Rodney Reed's attorneys earlier in the process. So it wasn't that they said it's an invalid argument. It was it was an argument that they said you're not allowed to argue. But so that's why that's being looked at in the federal courts right now where the DNA stuff is. But so to put that in perspective, the CCA, who were the ones that denied Rodney Reed's appeal, what looks to me is when they realize that Governor Greg Abbott wasn't going to do anything, they stepped in and ordered an indefinite stay of execution, which is a big deal because most of the time, if there's a stay, it's we'll give you a 30-day stay or a six-month stay of execution while we work these things out. Essentially, Rodney Reed no longer has an execution date at all while the courts work all this out. So hats off to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Shame on you, Governor Greg Abbott. And thank you to all of you who stepped up and, and made your voices known and, and made sure that all of our voices were heard in Rodney Reed's case, while hopefully justice is finally served as we move forward with that process. All right. Our first question comes from Leslie. Can you elaborate more about what you mean that Gutierrez might be a complete red herring? Are you saying he was used by the prosecution as a distraction, with his accounts being manipulated to fit their narrative? Or are you completely discrediting everything he reported? I didn't think the two issues at hand discredited him completely, the recollection of events prompting him to return to the scene, or even the one-hour discrepancy. I thought that the fact he never changed details about what happened inside the gas station was more significant than those peripheral details. He admits it's very possible he may have misremembered the time by an hour, but he doesn't exactly agree or disagree. And it honestly could have been all three in succession that prompted him to return to the scene with urgency. TV news, radio in the car, and then sirens and lights as he approached. Additionally, he never suggested Jamie is the man he saw, and I find that even more credible since he didn't succumb to any identification influence. Are you inferring that he made the whole thing up or maybe dramatized an insightful encounter with Bill inside the gas station? Or are you just trying to demonstrate how the credible parts of his testimony were washed out? Just trying to get on the same page. There's a lot there. I think the timing thing is is the biggest concern about Gutierrez. I, I, let's, let's start with this. This is, this is where we really – I was really looking forward to having this discussion two weeks ago mm-hmm. with you guys, uh, especially with you, Zach. And then we, it's been two weeks now since then. So hopefully some of this is fresh in your brain. I listened to it again this morning before we recorded because I knew this was going to happen. Okay, good. So, <laughs> so I mean, what do you think about Gutierrez? I have to agree that I think he's possibly a red heron. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that he was there. I think that he went in. I don't think his time was right. And they do have, you know, he went in and he says he spent $3 in gas. Right. And they do have a $3 purchase about 7 o'clock, 655-ish. Right. That could align a lot more with him being there at that time, even though he said, you know, 
his account of going home and coming back, that doesn't really line up. Plus, he, he later says he was going to meet a friend. There's a lot of things that don't really line up right. with what he's saying. So, I mean, I think that he was there. He possibly saw somebody. I don't think it had anything to do with the murder. Right. The, the person that he suspected to be threatening Bill. It, it could be anything. It could be a, a person coming in that Bill feels threatened by, but mm-hmm. maybe not like actually threatened by. There's right. a lot of times, you know, I'm a business owner and we have people come in the store that are sketchy looking, that are right. a lot more sketchy and we keep a closer eye on them. We're mm-hmm. probably a little more concerned when they're in the building. Right. Making sure they're not, you know, we had two gentlemen come through our back door the other day and just walk around the shop. We had no clue who they were, where they came from. And they're like, oh, sorry, we didn't know this was, you know, and you're like. And to be clear, your back door is in an alley. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very sketchy. You know what I mean? So when those those incidents happen, you you are on higher concern. You're paying mm-hmm. attention a little more. Maybe that's what it was. I'm thrown big time right now because it really throws everything we know about the crime scene and, and and the development of a profile. It flips everything on its head because you know everything was based on this guy sticking around, threatening Bill for ten minutes. Mm-hmm. So so our you know our original assessment was Gutierrez sees the man that's that's going to kill Bill mm-hmm. at eight oh five, and then at eight fifteen eight sixteen somehow then he gets them to open the register takes the money out, sticks around for another five minutes, and then kills him. Well, if Gutierrez's account is wrong, well, then, now what? Mm-hmm. You know? And now, now, granted, we still have the no-sales. That no-sale is still there. I think something has still begun at 8.05. Mm-hmm. But see, when I originally heard, you know, when people were telling me about the case and about Gutierrez, you know, I was like, well, how the, how the hell does that not play a trial? How does that not help Jamie? And they said, well, you know, at prosecution, they used a $3 charge from earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of convinced him that was him. Well, my thoughts were that's I was I was really studying every single word he said during his recorded interviews with his transcripts to see, is he saying night? Is he saying dark? That's what I'm looking for. You know, those little, mm-hmm. those little clues that are going to leak out when he's talking about I was there that night. And he does say that in, in some of his interviews. He leaks out that it was nighttime is dark. So I always thought, no, nah, it's bullshit. Then pushing it back to, you know, earlier in the day because he remembers it being dark. Mm-hmm. But then when I see that the actual time they pushed it back to was it seven o five or six fifty five? I thought it was six fifty five, but they kept they kept referring to it as seven. Right. But I think it, the actual register receipt was six fifty five. Right. Okay. Yeah. And the um, sunset that day at six nineteen mm-hmm. p.m. So Civil Twilight is 30 minutes after that. So then that's uh, 650, 649, mm-hmm. which means by 649, it's dark. It's not pitch black. It's dark enough to know it's night. But it's nighttime. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's dark then, especially when you're in an urban area where there's streetlights mm-hmm. because those halo out the actual – it looks like it's nighttime. Yeah. Within a, that's why they call it Civil Twilight. Um, nautical Twilight is another 30 minutes past that. That's when it is dark, 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 dark if you're out in the country somewhere. So when I see it, it's like, okay, so it was dark. Mm-hmm. Either way, it was dark. So him mixing up an hour, you know, I was here at, se- at 8 o'clock. Or, but then you got so many weird things in his in his statement. Like, I know it was 8.05 when I was there because it was 8.12 when I walked in the door. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, who, what? And then and then it's, but but within within 24 hours of them of, of each other, he says, I heard about it on the radio. And I watched it on the channel 31 News or whatever channel that was. Mm-hmm. Like to me, he's lying. I don't think that he's. I don't ne- think that necessarily means he's lying about the encounter happening at all. But to me, there's all sorts of indications of deception 
in Jerry Gutierrez's recorded statements yeah. that we have. And so then the key is figure out why. And my thoughts are he was probably doing something during that period of time that he shouldn't have been doing. Mm-hmm. Whether he was whether it was drugs or he was driving while he was drunk or he was you know, we see his rap sheet, he's done some some burglaries uh and, and robberies. So, you know, maybe he was out doing something else and that's why there's all the, the changes in his story to the police about where he was and how long he was gone and how he got notified. Mm-hmm. It could very well be. But then the other thought I had was, could he be a suspect? I haven't thought about that, I guess. Now that, I mean, now that you say it, I guess I haven't really thought about that. It seems odd that he would come back and talk to the police at all if he was involved. It does seem odd that he would come back. But it also seems super odd that he was very clear about that 812 still sticks in my head. You know, mm-hmm. When he says, no, I know I was home at 812 you know, because I saw it on the clock. And then we find out that you know, he probably wasn't home. You know, and, of course, the 99 statement, granted, that's you know, eight years later. Mm-hmm. But he's saying he, was, he, got, he went and picked up a buddy and they were out at some pool hall all night. You know, that it remembers, those are weird, you know, your, your brain certainly will fill in details and, and we all know memories are malleable, but that's a big change. That is a huge change from, I went straight home and was watching the news and saw, oh, something happened at the gas station. So I went back. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference between I was hanging out with my buddies shooting pool at a pool hall. I guess the more I think about it, the more I have a hard time seeing him as a suspect. I mean, obviously I don't study this as much as you do, but. I have a hard time with him coming back. You'd seem like you'd want to distance yourself. Right. Then you have the the three dollar gas purchase, which may or may not be anything, but he you know, he does say three dollars. There does happen to be a three dollar gas purchase earlier in the evening. Mm-hmm. That kind of a line. I mean, that's just a weird coincidence. Right. The other thing that I guess I think about too is the fact that, you know, if he stops there for gas and, and he's talking about driving there, he's got a vehicle. You know, is he going to park it off on the side of the road and run? You know, I don't know. It just seems, it all seems odd if he's the suspect. Yeah, I, I don't know what, to, I honestly don't know what to make of it. I, I, I think that it's all of a sudden, you know, at, at the very beginning, people are always asking, well, what about Martinez? What about Gutierrez? Could they be suspects? They were there. Mm-hmm. They, we know they were there. And then, you know, I, I kind of blew them off. And now it's like, well, he's got a history of burglaries and robberies. His stories changed multiple times in weird ways. I don't know. I'm not saying he's a suspect, but he's definitely on my radar now. I, I think something's but, – but getting back to kind of that question was the basic main reason I'm saying that he that he's could likely be a red herring to me is the time. That yeah. we see a $3 charge at 7 o'clock, mm-hmm. which is an hour before anything else happened, and he left right after that. I think if his story is legit, if we if we take away the peripheral things that are mixed up, if the basis of his story is legit, I think he saw a guy standing at the counter an hour before anything happened. Now, we know from the register tape that Bill made a cash dump 30 minutes after that. We know there was a bunch of customers in and out of there between 7 and 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. which would mean if, if, that was, if that was Jerry Gutierrez at 7, then... You know, the, it was business as usual after that, or mm-hmm. an hour after that, before anything happened. You know, so that's what makes me think that it very well could be a red herring. But then again, three dollars in gas in nineteen ninety one is not that odd of a purchase. No, that's very true. So it very well could have been somebody else, and we could have had it right all along, and it could have been right at eight oh five. You know, I, I think um, 
Tammy Alexander, I think, in one of her questions that said, well, do you think that the police convinced him it was seven? Well, I think they did, but but I don't necessarily think they were wrong. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly the first to criticize these detectives for their, for how they've investigated this case. But when a guy tells you, I was there that night and I bought $3 in gas and I think it was eight o'clock and you look at a register tape and says, well, it was, there was a $3 purchase at seven o'clock. Could that have been you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That probably convinced him to say, oh yeah, that could have been me. Yeah. Because he doesn't know. Cause, cause the reality was, Probably wasn't eight twelve when he got to his house. He probably wasn't looking at a clock when he got home, and he's probably estimating his time the entire time. So one thing I need to know is: is he deceased now, Gutierrez? Yes. No, he's not. He is not deceased. Mm-hmm. So it's somebody we could look into. Yeah. Well, we I've, I've been trying to find him for a while. Okay. Um, Gerardo Gutierrez, unfortunately, is not an uncommon name, mm-hmm. and he has moved um, around the country. Last I was tracking him, I think he was in Florida. He was in Florida at the time of the trial. Okay. Um, but he's moved around, but I have not been able to locate him. But as far as I know, he is not deceased. Okay. So Gerardo Gutierrez, if you're listening, call us at 269-224-2833. That's our tip line. We'd love to talk to you to clear some of this up. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then along with that, Isabel says, you mentioned that on April 1st, Jerry picked out BP6345 from a photo array. There is a photo mugshot of a BP6395 floating around. Did you mean 6395 or is this a different suspect? Uh, Well, I didn't mean 6395, but it is 6395. It was um, the documents that I was pulling for them for this episode were handwritten. And I went back and checked and it's the, the nine looks like a four. In the the document that I that I was that I pulled this information from, and then it was something known as an error carried through. Where the, when I first typed it into the document, it was six three four five because that's the way it looked, and then I continued to say that. But no, it is actually six three nine five. It's the one that we have uh, shared previously. Then that's the one that both Martinez and Gutierrez picked out. Whereas uh, Martinez says between these two, one of the two was six three nine five. And the other one, I don't remember the number of the other one, but I have the name. And then uh, Gutierrez, they looked at it and he said, he he doesn't say that's him. The report re- reads kind of weird where they said, this one, is this the man you saw? And he answered in the affirmative or something like that. Uh, but BP6395, his name is Philip Morgan. Uh, there's no lead sheets. There's nothing in the entire police file that shows how or why he was cleared. So I don't know, unless it's something along the lines of, you know, they found out that he was in jail that night. That's a pretty big lead when the only two eyewitnesses that night both select the same guy, and there's nothing in the police file that says how or if the man was ever cleared. I think the other thing we need to think about, too, is where the photo came from then. 
if he was cleared mysteriously or not cleared, then why was he even brought up in the first place? Do we know if he was a suspect or anything about the guy? Well, usually what they'll do in the photo arrays is they both had given a description, right? Okay. Of a guy that's about this size with this kind of hair and this kind of facial hair. Mm-hmm. And so they'll go through their mugshot books and pull people that tend to fit that description okay. and say, okay, now look through here. Do any of these guys look familiar? Um, so that's probably what happened. Like I said, it could have turned out. I, I mean, it would be all speculation. My assumption is the guy's probably in jail. Yeah. I can't believe that they would just straight up drop a lead of two guys IDing the same person. They know who the person is. Understand, too, that's not just the police, but but the defense, you would think that, you know, by the time. The, so the, defen- the defense attorneys, Jamie's and Susan's defense attorneys, probably know why they were dropped. The guy was, like I said, my assumption is the guy was in jail. Now, the other one that was identified by Martinez was a guy named Jason Mansky. So both those two is is Philip Morgan is BP six three nine five, and then Jason Mansky was the other one, and both of them were just it's it's weird when you read mm-hmm. the file and it's like we have the eyewitnesses can you ID anybody and they both go yep it was that guy, and then they're like hmm well the hunt continues trying to figure out who it is like, what yeah and then you have to presume that that's what happened is that they're probably incarcerated something where they know that it wasn't them yeah. Isabel continued on here. She says, Jerry picked someone out of a photo array on April 1st. Then on April 17th, he called in a tip after possibly spotting the suspect at a Peoria McDonald's. He was shown numerous photos, but was, quote, unable to identify anyone from the pictures shown. But he had just identified someone from a photo array two weeks earlier. Did they not include BP 63495 in the photo array? Does this mean he recanted his earlier identification? No, I mean, the police kind of walked him back from his earlier identification. In the 99 interview, and Barkas and Katz are interviewing him. And say, now, you know, you picked this guy out, but you didn't say that was him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, no, no, I'm not saying that was him. It just could have been him. Uh, but no, I, again, this is what leads me to believe that likely Philip Morgan, who was 6395, likely he was somewhere where he was accounted for. Yeah. And if I had to guess, again, I would say, I would say he was in jail or prison. Um, so that would mean he wasn't included. In the photo array mm-hmm. when he went back in the second time after seeing the guy in Peoria, which that's a whole nother story, too. I find that really interesting that he's so sure of the guy that he saw that he picked him out again. See, and that, and that doesn't surprise me totally, because I think that, you know, people have said it numerous times in this fan group that you and I look alike. Right. So say they saw you in a gas station and then a month later see me leaving McDonald's. They could go, that's the same guy. Right. And it not me. But see, then again, they're looking at pictures, too. I mean, because the reality is you have red hair and I have dark hair. No, I have brown hair. Do you, no, you don't. Yes, I do. There's no red. Why do I think you're a redhead? I have no idea. That's actually weird. I think it's from your pictures from the old picture, like your wedding photo. Maybe. Didn't your hair look redder when you no, were younger? No. Look at his mustache. <laughs> Light brown. There's no, there's no red hair there. No red hair. Okay. Back up. It's, it's light brown. Okay, so you're not a redhead, but like, I don't, you wear glasses. I don't wear glasses. I'm much handsomer than you. But he did say that there's changes. But anyway, what I, my point is that they are, you know, they're looking at photos online, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to, he saw this guy in person and there was, he says in the guy, the guy that he saw in Peoria, that he saw, still saw the scar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, he, so he's looking at the same guy. That's definitely him and the scar. Just two weeks apart, and, and he was he was a couple feet away from the guy in both instances. I feel like that was probably the same guy. Okay, you don't think so? I, no, I could be. But that's what makes me think 
that it probably was the same guy is the fact that both of them were in person mm-hmm. and the fact that he noticed the scar and the fact that the, the guy had, if it was the same guy, he had changed his appearance, which makes sense if he was connected to the, to the homicide. Yeah. And he still picked him up because like, to your point, people on the fan page that say that you and I look alike, mm-hmm. you know, and we really don't look that much alike. No. Uh, but that's because we, the real reason they say that is because we're both about six one. We mm-hmm. both have beards. We both apparently have brown hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, thick boy nation. Yeah, we're both in the thick boy nation. Uh, so, but you know, you know, we have we have very common characteristics. Yeah. If you look closely at us, you can tell that there's there's clearly a difference there. But if I were to shave my beard, mm-hmm. no one would think I looked like you. Well, that's true. You know, and, and so this guy had shaved. I don't remember what he said. Changed his mind and, and complete different appearance. You know, and that's a big deal. You know, obviously people wear different clothes, but for the same guy to go from wearing a leather biker jacket one day to wearing a sports jersey the next day, mm-hmm. those are two very different styles, I guess. Okay. I understand that for sure. So with with that being said, that he still says, no, that's him. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind that he said that he had seen the man before mm-hmm. also. But we could go back to before we started recording with Mike's appearance change. Did, mm-hmm. did Mike commit a crime last week? We don't know. He had changed his appearance. Right. I'm not saying that that's, like I said, it, but the guy necessarily changed his appearance for that reason or even necessarily. Because remember, I don't think that Gutierrez necessarily saw anybody connected to the crime. Okay. You know, if it was an hour earlier, mm-hmm. it just could have been just the guy just shaved. My my point is not any reason why someone did change his appearance, but the key things that would, that would cause people to recognize someone, mm-hmm. things like facial hair, clothing type, things that will trigger you to say, oh, that's the same person. Those things were different, and he still recognized him and still saw the the scar on the chin. I, I think, personally, I think that he probably saw the same guy. Whether or not that guy was involved in the crime, I don't know. All right, Matilda says, did the police ever check out any of the local hospitals? I mean, how many men come in with a huge face injury that needs stitches on the cheek? They would have records of that patient, wouldn't they? Gutierrez said the stitches looked fresh. That's a really good point. You know, people. we always, seems like in a lot of these cases we work, Police don't check on hospitals when they should have. You know, for example, the um, season six, Jamie Melgar's murder, they never went to look for it because we thought, you know, whoever killed him likely we'd say was, was left-handed. They probably would have cuts on their hand mm-hmm. from the blade. Like, those are injuries you're looking for. But I didn't think about going to look for someone that, just, you know, an unrelated injury. But if there's fresh stitches on the chin, I mean, that list can't be that long. But isn't that stuff protected under HIPAA? Well, there was no HIPAA in 1991. Really? Mm-mm. I don't think so. I don't think there was either. I think it was mid '90s when uh, HIPAA became like two early 2000s. I think it was post 9/11 um, HIPAA. Anyway, well, this will be I guess like the ATM thing. Let us know next week uh, if you guys look that up. But but anybody have bets? My bet is HIPAA became a thing in 2002. Anybody guess? I have no idea. I thought it was around back then. So 98. 98. Zach says. Not ninety one. Anyway, but police can still get a warrant, you know, to find some of that stuff as long as as long as they have a warrant. But I think it would have been a good idea for them to go just look for anybody in the last two months that got stitches on their chin. Yeah, and I I do think that that's probably something you should address or we should address is that I I don't believe HIPAA covers law enforcement if they have a warrant. You right. Yeah. I mean? HIPAA would HIPAA would cover us trying to look into it. It wouldn't right. cover. Yeah, well, and and it would stop it. law enforcement without a warrant. But, yeah. that, but that's the same thing with anything. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, no one has the right to go into your house and look through your shit. But if you have a warrant, then they can go in and yeah. look through your stuff. 
you you said earlier that you don't think the list would be that long, but might it be? Like, isn't that doesn't that seem a little unrealistic? Chin stitches in the, in, a, in a town as big as Bloomington in the in the course of say if you go back look back two months, you know, go to the ER. How many people got stitches in their, in their specifically a white male, you know, over thirty or over twenty with stitches in their chin? That can't be. I mean, even if the list is a hundred people. Well, and he he said he saw the stitch holes. Yeah, now, I had stitches last fall. You took them out, which is oh, yeah, which is a fun that. thing. Yeah. You could see the stitch holes, but you could only see the stitch holes for a few days. Right, and then they go away. I mean, you could still see the cut, but mm-hmm. the stitch holes went away pretty quickly. Right. So, I mean, if, if he really did see the stitch holes, it would have to be a few days after getting the stitches out. Right. So, I mean, that could even narrow your search That's down. It. It's, from... just, it's the same thing as the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, when, he, when we talked, I don't know if anybody has any questions about this, but when Gutierrez sees this guy at McDonald's and says he's in a burgundy-colored late 70s Nova... For crying out loud, find out if the you know get a list. Mm-hmm. It can't because that is for those of you that don't know that car. I know the car because I always wanted one. I, I always wanted like a early seventies Chevelle or Nova. They're a muscle car and they're badass cars. You know, so in in the early nineties, they were not. You know, like I said, I wouldn't go as far as to say they were rare, but they were not popular. There might be, you know, I knew. In our little neck of the woods, I knew two guys that had Chevelles and one guy that had a Nova. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see him driving around town. There's just there's not many any other ones around. But but yeah, the stitches thing. Like I said, even if you go in and you okay, well here's a list. We did we did chin stitches on these 100 people, which I doubt it's even that big of a number mm-hmm. over the last month. And in that list, they say if it's 100 people, then you start looking them. Well, who are these people? Do any of these people now fit the description? That you know, you go talk to them, and you walk up, and here's the guy with with the with the chin whiskers that looks just like Gutierrez's sketch. Well, maybe that's somebody you want to talk to. Yeah, there's a lot of misses by law enforcement here, and I think that's one of them. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Danette says, I don't understand how Gutierrez could be considered a red herring. He and Martinez gave very similar descriptions and picked the same photo. How can we discount that? Well, again, remember, it appears that they both picked the wrong photo. Now, that's making an assumption, but you know, they both picked that photo when there was no follow-up and no information on the person was cleared. So, again, my assumption is, and again, it is just an assumption. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think defense would have brought this up at some point if it was the other way around. My assumption is that guy probably could not possibly have done it. You know, he was probably in jail. He's deceased. He was you know, locked up in Colorado. So who knows? So as far as them picking the same guy, that's irrelevant because they picked the wrong guy. And this, as far as their accounts, they're not the same. You know, we looked at when, when we thought there was no question back at the beginning of this season, from based on their statements, there's no question Gutierrez was there at 8.05. Martinez is there at 8.21. We tracked the no sales when the shots occurred. We know for a fact that those two guys saw the same person. Then we can look and say, well, what are the similarities? They both said they saw him wearing a dark colored jacket. They both saw him wearing a baseball hat. You know, so they're clearly it's the same person. Mm-hmm. Well, now if we, if we, but we look at what they actually said, 
So Gutierrez says he saw a guy wearing a black leather zip-up motorcycle jacket, whereas Martinez actually said the guy was wearing a short brown spring jacket. Hmm. Those are two very different things. Now, you could see, like, in the heat of the moment when we're looking, you know, and when we're assuming that they kind of have to be connected. Yeah, you could, con- and, and I'm not saying you can't. It still could be the same thing. But they both gave specific descriptions of two different jackets. Yeah. But they were both, you know, the similarity there is they were both dark colored jackets. But then you throw in the Lunas across the street, you know, and I know this, I know this season's been tough because we're kind of all, we're, we're going down all these little rabbit holes. And I think, Next week is Thanksgiving, and we're going to have a short week, so I'm, I, I'm working on setting up an interview with someone that could come in and hopefully connect a lot of these dots for us, because it's going to be tough for us to get an episode out in three days anyway, and I've been wanting to do this. But then you got Lunas across the street where they see a guy wearing a black trench coat down to his ankles. Mm-hmm. So now you have three different d- descriptions, because I was already leaning towards, after we went through Martinez and the Luna Boys, that maybe those were two different people. And as you had said, Zach, I think likely both connected, mm-hmm. you know, both there for the burglary or the robbery, but, you know, one leaves, the other one goes back in and shoots him, and that's why we see two different people. But really, Gutierrez's description does not fit Martinez's. And, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying he is a red herring. I'm asking the question, do you think he is a red herring? Mm. Because of that time thing. Yeah. You know, the, three, the $3 gas purchase that he says happens at 8, and we see a $3 tape register at 7 o'clock. Everything about this is a real head-scratcher. I mean, just how the suspects continue to evolve. Everything continues to evolve so mm-hmm. much more than in, in cases prior that we've looked at or that you've looked at. It's almost devolving. It's, mm-hmm. I'll be very frank with you. It's dri- this case is driving me crazy. Yeah, It's driving me nuts because it's like we, we start off and we're gathering evidence and we're looking at what people kind of think happened. We really dig into the case, and I thought we'd come up with a good scenario of what did happen, mm-hmm. reconstructing the crime scene, and we're working off that. And then, but you know, that's that's the whole idea with with the scientific method of our investigation is you gather evidence, you create a hypothesis, and then you test it against the evidence. And as we're testing it against the evidence, it's falling apart. So I th- I think the hypothesis is wrong. I think my hypothesis from three months ago that it was Gutierrez walks in. Sees the guy that's making Bill nervous. He leaves. The guy lingers for 10 more minutes, sticks him up, gets the money. The guy stays in there threatening him. They have an argument, and then he shoots him at 821 and leaves. Based on the evidence that we've discovered since then, I think that hypothesis is wrong. I think I am incorrect on that. The the case, rather, is the development of this case is devolving. Now I'm kind of confused. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what the hell happened at this point. I don't know what is what to believe and what not to believe. And, you know, coming up on next week's episode or probably will be the week after Thanksgiving, we had a tip come in that I really thought probably didn't have much to do with anything when it came in. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking maybe it does. Oh, really? Now yeah. I'm interested to hear this. Yeah, because it do- because originally it didn't fit with the theories and hypotheses that were out there. But uh, like I said, I, I, I think I'm wrong. I think I was wrong. And, and I'd like to get Jim Clemente back on if we ever get a better re- crime scene reconstruction done to redo the profile. Because our profile was based on what I believe to be false assumptions. Mm-hmm. Or at least what possibly could be false assumptions at this point. Yeah. All right. Charlie says, for what it's worth, the detective conducting the interview heard in episode 17 is not Katz, but is actually Barkus. It may not seem like a big deal, but I feel it's important to correctly identify everyone that is being featured on the podcast. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And that's happened several times. I haven't picked out, you know, quite gotten used to whose voices are whose. All these interviews, it's Katz and Barkas together interviewing them. But because of the way they redacted all the, the police files, including redacting the names of the officers at the beginning of the tapes, like this one, I remember specifically because I thought it might have been Barkas. Um, at the beginning of it, I was listening for, you know, I'm Detective Dan Katz. I'm joined here by Detective uh, Rick Barkas and then redacted the name. Didn't say that at the beginning, so I, I, I guess I took a guess. But there are a few people from Bloomington. I'm assuming that this gentleman is one of those people that know the know the voices well enough to know that that voice was uh, Rick Barkas, not Dan Katz. That's a strange thing. That. Do they typically do that? I've never seen it. Yeah, that seems really strange to me. But in some of the tapes... It, it, they do say this is, you know, Detective Barkas and I'm with, you know, but in a lot of them, it's not there. And then in a lot of the written reports, even the officer's signatures are redacted. That's crazy. And, and that's one of the things that Tammy Alexander and uh, Ray Wilson have been working on um, in their lawsuit that they filed that they just, you know, they wanted supposed to get new things back where they, what they got back from their FOIA lawsuit was, no, it is not okay. You cannot redact the police officer's names. Mm. So they're getting stuff back with, you know, a lot of that information. And it's a weird case. And I, apparently, like I said before, Illinois has some strange privacy laws compared to other states where we've worked. But that's not one of them, that you don't get to know the police officer's name. All right. And Tammy Alexander posted on the fan page that Jamie Snow finally got his email device. If you'd like to email Jamie, do the following. Number one, go to www.connectnetwork.com. Number two, add inmate. Illinois Department of Corrections, James Snow, N50072. Yeah, so this is really cool. Uh, Jamie had, and you don't have to go to the website. I actually do it through an app. Um, but, you know, for some of our previous people that we've, we've dealt with, um, everybody from Texas, we use JPay, uh, which is an online way where you can email people. But with JPay, you send an email. Basically, what happens is the guards then print that off as a PDF and hand it to them, and then they have to handwrite you back. With Connect Network, Jamie can send emails. Now, up to this point, there was like a kiosk where he got certain time during the day that he could go get on it. And he can actually email you back. But he just got, which is the email device, he described to me, it's basically like an iPad, it sounds like. And he's thrilled. They put in this these Wi-Fi throughout the prison for these guys. And he can actually lay in his bunk with his iPad and receive and send messages, emails right from his bunk. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice way for them to be able to stay connected to the outside. So you can do it at, like Tammy said, connectnetwork.com. They, but they do also have an app. I know for sure for iPhone because that's where I do it. And you can do it on the iPhones. Um, and you need to look for Jamie Snow. Which, so you, when you hit add inmate, it's Illinois Department of Corrections. It's James Snow. And his uh, inmate number is N is in Nancy 50072. That's N50072. I know a lot of people have taken to write into Jamie, and he's been writing them back. I know he's super thrilled with it. I haven't actually got a chance to talk to him in the last couple of weeks because of our, our schedule. But connectnetwork.com, James Snow, N50072. He would love to hear from you, and I guarantee you he'll be writing you right back. And the cost is basically the same as sending a stamp. I think you, you, can, you can buy credits. You can buy like five credits for $1.50, or um, there's different th- things you can do. But essentially, it costs about 50 cents per message you send, just like Pretty much like like a stamp, like you would mail it in the mail. All right, and our last question comes from Twitter user OZTM. Did I hear a little subliminal message in last week's podcast? I'm sure I heard you say, quote, and Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. 
Did I hear you right? Uh, you did. That was a little <laughs> little Easter egg, and kind of set the internet's on fire right after right after that. There was more talk about that one second uh, in the podcast than most of the rest of the episode. But yeah, I did, and there was uh, a, a reason for this. So there was one thing that's that's a kind of a meme that's been going around for those of you who don't know. And some people thought it was great. Some people didn't. And some people were pissed off because, you know, why are you making a joke out of this? I'm making a joke out of this because there's a purpose and a reason that why you're seeing a lot of all kinds of people, newscasters, celebrities that are that are dropping that line in there. And the reason is to keep people talking about it. So for those of you that are unaware, Jeffrey Epstein was a monster. He was he was a child sex trafficker. Had an incredible abuse of power over decades and victimized hundreds, if not thousands, of young women and was protected because of his influence, money, and power by some very powerful people. And, uh, you know, his death was ruled a suicide. It seems like that very likely may not have been a suicide in order to keep other people. Safe, some people of influence and power safe from him, him spilling the beans on them Mm -hmm. in order to save himself. So, the reason I slipped that in there, the same reason that a lot of other people are doing it, the reason the meme is bouncing around the internet is so people don't let it go. I think that if he was murdered, the whole reason is because people want this to go so these people do not get caught that have victimized all these young women. We're not going to stop talking about it. As a matter of fact, that is going to be. The Thanksgiving episode of Bob and Weave, Zach and I actually today for next week are going to be recording episode six of Bob and Weave, which will be about Mr. Epstein. Yeah, this case is really complex and I'm really looking forward to digging into it. Yep. So that'll be next week on Bob and Weave and uh, we will no more weeks off. So even though it's Thanksgiving, we will have episodes for you next week. Although do expect next week probably to be an interview because with the short week only having three days, we've got to get everything recorded and edited by the end of the day, Wednesday next week, so that Mike and I can enjoy Thanksgiving with our families. Thanks for that, Bob. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. See ya. See you guys. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our Friday Fall logo was created by Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I want to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to Patreon.com slash TruthAndJustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review, and lastly, you can always support the show by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. 
If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website. Just click on the Case Submissions button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at TruthJusticePod, and my personal Twitter handle is at BobRuffTruth. And you can also connect with Mike at MBussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at TruthJusticePod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. some wit over there all right and tammy Snow- like that there it is <laughs> blooper